Hickory smoke above and an old dog on the floor A piece of chalk on a black slate tabletop for keeping score Old friends and stories of the places and the ones they love Oh, the secrets they'd unlock if these old bones could talk Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond A little Matt Hillier if these old bones could talk, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff, Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith, and there is no place I'd rather be than right here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Hope 2018 is going to be your biggest and best year yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Got off to a great start on uh, January 1st. Took a nice 10-point in Montag County, Texas. I'll tell you all more about that later. Uh, but, man, oh, man, it's great to be here with you on one of my favorite weekends of the year as Dallas Safari Club's convention is taking place this weekend. That's right, Legacy 2018. Going down in downtown Dallas. I'll be out there uh, all weekend, so uh, make it a point to come on out. If you haven't been to the show before, I highly, highly recommend it, uh, especially if you're interested in any kind of destination uh, hunting or fishing trip. Uh, if you've got a bucket list of items you want to check off before you kick the bucket, <laughs> that's a good place to go uh, to start planning those dream hunts or, or fishing trips as well. Uh, there'll be over 1,850 exhibitors from around the globe at, uh, at this event. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you as far as today is concerned. So you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of uh, your granddad's green Stanley thermos, the one that's been to hell and back but keeps that coffee piping hot uh, because off the top, we will be joined by Clayton Wolf, Texas Parks and Wildlife's Wildlife Division Director. Uh, there is a new feral hog poison that is going to be tested in West Texas and Alabama this summer. It's called Hog Gone, and this is totally different from the uh, warfarin-based um, poison that was approved by Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller, who we had on the show last year to talk about uh, that situation. Ultimately, it was squashed. Uh, warfarin is no longer in the cards as far as a viable option for feral hog control. But this new poison is backed by Texas Parks and Wildlife. There's been a lot of research that's gone into it, uh, and Clayton will be here to break it down for us. I've got a lot of questions because personally, I want to make sure that this crap isn't getting into the food chain. Uh, that is my number one fear. I don't want the byproduct of poisoning feral hogs to be a lot of other animals uh, die as well. So, we'll discuss with Clayton. Then, my good friend Don Gresham of Goen and Associates. Uh, Y'all have heard his commercials on our broadcast for years and years. He's a good personal friend. Builds custom hog traps. And uh, I get to go hunting with him a couple times a year. Uh, enjoyed a nice sit on 
uh, what was that? I guess the first was on Monday. Uh, Monday afternoon, it was frigid, <laughs> 15 degrees outside, wind was howling, but we had a super moon. And uh, I'm going to tell you how that affected our deer hunt and and talk about the one that got away. We had success, but let me tell you, I saw something I have never seen in the Whitetail Woods. And uh, this experience, <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen again. Uh, looking back on it, it's kind of cool. But uh, shoot, I mean, I'm still having nightmares about this buck. I'll tell you about it when Don jumps on in a bit. And then we'll wrap up the broadcast by taking a look at some on-the-ground conservation projects that Ducks Unlimited is involved in right now uh, as far as public land hunting opportunity is concerned. Uh, because I believe that public land is still the heart and soul of waterfowling. I truly do. Uh, and yet we're losing waterfowlers every year. And so I think it's imperative that we increase public hunting opportunity and better our habitat for wintering waterfowl. We'll discuss all of that with Kevin Hartke, uh, Ducks Unlimited uh, public lands biologist here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be awesome. I guarantee you that. And I am thrilled that you're here with me to experience it. Uh, so let's do this. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Costa sunglasses cap, t-shirt, Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker. We'll throw in two passes to Legacy 2018. All you have to do is be the third person to text in the word Legacy. That's Legacy to 214-289-7807. And I will send you uh, this prize pack. Obviously, I'll leave the tickets at will call. Let's take a break. Because boy, oh boy, we've got a hot topic for you next. It's the latest on poisoning feral hogs we discuss with Texas Parks and Wildlife's Clayton Wolf right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. There was seven Spanish angels at the altar of sun. Hey, it's Justin at DontTradeItIn.com. Have you ever felt like you didn't get enough for your trade-in at a car dealership? You probably didn't. Trade-ins usually become inventory, and most car dealerships are like other businesses. They want inventory costs to be as low as possible. DontTradeItIn.com buys vehicles for more, guaranteed. Are you worried about mechanical and or cosmetic issues? Not planning on replacing your vehicle? No problem. We'll still make you a cash offer. DontTradeItIn.com even buys customized, off-road, special interest, classic, and exotic vehicles. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com, answer some quick questions, and you get a cash bid on your vehicle in no time. Don't trade it in.com or call or text us at 469-300-9669. Again, that's 469-300-9669. A rock steady point. A covey rises. Over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from GFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. 
We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Can't stop thinking about the old times Thought that I was tough as leather You were young Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show Power. Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Long and Lonely Highway. One of my favorites there from Mickey and the Motor Cars. Our very own Mickey and the Motor Cars. Bringing us back here as and we are all set to tackle the latest on feral hog poison as a means of controlling their ever-increasing numbers. But before we visit with our old friend Clayton Wolf. From Texas Parks and Wildlife, this segment is brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Hey, <laughs> that's a great way to control feral hog populations is uh, by using thermal and night vision. Uh, you know, daytime hunting, uh-uh, not going to put a dent in them, but if you can roll up 10 or 15 hogs in a night under the cover of darkness, well, now you're doing something. And you'll save 20% off any Pulsar Night Vision or thermal optic, that's monoculars and scopes, by using my promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and bring on our good friend Clayton Wolf, Wildlife Division Director of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Clayton, always great to visit with you, brother. Thank you, Cable. Glad to be with you. My pleasure. Uh, so I hope you had a, a great holiday season and I imagine you're back to the grind here this week. I am. It's a little. It's a little chilly outside, <laughs> so it's a good. It's a good time to to be inside. Yeah, yeah. I was sitting in a a heated deer blind this week, and I could still see my breath. Yeah, it's uh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, we went out once or twice, and we took the heaters with us as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, what I want to talk about today is this press release that I that I came across, and, and we're going to dive into that momentarily. But going back to last uh, February of 2017, uh, Texas Agricultural Commissioner Sid Miller approved the uh, Wafferin-based poison designed to be used uh, for feral, feral hogs. And it was met with just a, you know, extreme public outcry. Ultimately, it was squashed. And I don't remember, um, how did how did that get squashed? I don't know if it was Texas Parks and Wildlife or USDA or what, what happened on that. No, uh, I, in fact, I, my recollection, uh, Cable, is that the um, the company uh, actually withdrew uh-huh. its registration because of there was, uh, I guess, some uh, lawsuits pending or at least a threat of lawsuit. Mm, okay. And my recollection, looking at the news releases, is the company, you know, decided it it. Um, couldn't, uh, I guess, afford the risk associated with the lawsuit, so it it basically withdrew that registration. Right. Uh, right. Here, at least here in Texas, I don't know about um, if they withdrew that actually just the state registration, 
that's that's offered by TDA or if that was something at a more national level. But I but I I'm pretty certain I recall they they withdrew it because of the uh, everything that was going on and the threats of lawsuits. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, I, I did a lot of research on that, and I just never could find it, what, in my opinion, was adequate testing that had been done um, with that product. So Yeah, and I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of knowledge. What I do know is, um, you know, I believe that they, there's a wealth of data on warfarin, um, not necessarily the feral hog toxicant, mm-hmm. Uh, or not specifically the feral hog toxicant. You know, it's been a you know it's it's been, a blood thinner essentially. It's a blood thinner, and it's yeah. been a it's been you know it's been used in rat uh, rodenticide uh, poisons uh, rodenticides for many years. Mm-hmm. So, so my understanding, my limited understanding is there's there was a wealth of data related to that was referenced, um, albeit those those that was in the context of of rodenticides. You know that are you know typically human uh, habitations and buildings and things like that where the right. product is used. Sure, sure. So it's like apples and oranges in my opinion and you can't compare hogs to rats and then the whole food chain ingesting the hog and this that and the other. Um so fast forward to a couple of weeks ago and I came across an associated press release citing that feral hog poison, I think it's called Hoggone, is going to be field tested in West Texas and also Alabama this summer. Uh, so, who approved this? And uh, and then I'll I'll have some follow up questions for you on that. So, the, so that uh, experimental use permit is um, is issued by the Environmental Protection Agency as well. Uh-huh. Um, and it's uh, I guess you'd call it a precursor to registration. Uh, it's a field deployment to gather more data. So it's not a it's not you know yet an application for registration. You know that that point that uh, Kaput, the warfarin-based uh, toxicant, had gotten to. Um, the applicant is is um, is one of our partners. You know we've been doing TPWD. Uh, we've been doing a lot of the research on non-target non-target organisms uh, here in Texas. Our collaborators are USDA, the Department of Agriculture. Uh, APHIS, and they have a National Wildlife Research Center, uh, and and they are actually USDA APHIS are the applicants for the experimental use permit and are the leads on the um, these these um, the field deployment and the and the experiments are taking place during this next phase. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so is this Texas Parks and Wildlife approved? Um... I mean, did, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, did you guys put your seal of approval on it? And say, you know, hey, yeah, let's try this. Or we, yeah, we. Have, so we've been every gosh for close to a decade now. Our team on the Kerr area and our researchers have been interested, intrigued. But obviously, our you know our first and foremost concern, and we believe our nexus is what's the impact going to be to uh, you know to native wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. Feral hogs, you know, have a can can be destructive to habitat, not you know, not just crops, but also habitat, uh, and and they're you know wreaking havoc across Texas. So absolutely, there's yeah. that nexus, but then there's this nexus, as anyone might consider, that if a toxicant is going to be put there on the landscape, what is what is its impact going to be to to other organisms? And so that's how we really got interested. You know, mm-hmm. we we obviously want to give landowners and managers another tool in the toolbox, but we want it to be safe for the environment, safe for hunters, et cetera. 
Uh, and so that's um, that's in, and our staff was intrigued um, by this by this notion, uh, and so we got involved in, in and have been involved in numerous studies, you know, looking at the toxicity of sodium nitrite to native uh, animals. I think one thing that everyone has always um, assumed with this particular bait, and it was really the same assumption with 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 the other bait, is that the delivery mechanism. Uh, was going to have to be, uh, you know, very target specific. In other mm-hmm. words, a feeder, you know, you couldn't just put it on the landscape, right? Because sodium nitrite is toxic to other animals. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so our what guys, does sodium nitrate do? Well, so it essentially, uh, it's a food preservative. It's a food preservative. Yeah. So if you if you make uh, sausage or something like that, or or the bacon you buy at the store. Um, it uh, it is a food preservative, um, and you know we we put it in the sausage we make, but it is toxic, and it and it basically keeps uh, the blood from carrying oxygen, uh, and essentially causes the organism that gets too much of this to asphyxiate, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, be much it be much like uh, I'm told carbon monoxide poisoning, okay. uh, and so so it's a it's a it's a rather humane toxicant um, because as as the body um, for the organism that takes in the bait um, its ability to carry blood is diminished that eventually the animal becomes sleepy goes to sleep and just doesn't wake up right uh, and um, and so so number one one of the things that that made it uh, also intriguing for us it was already you know uh, registered as a, a food grade preservative. Uh, so you know, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't an unknown substance out there on the on the landscape that hadn't had some research done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's um, you know, the, and, and the Australians had been using it, um, and as they've been doing some research, um, and, and they are also partners, you know, partners in in this endeavor. And it's actually their their formulation that uh, Hogon uh, is is a formulation uh, that's owned and patented by by um, animal control technologies of Australia. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Fascinating. And so we've, you know, so we've, you know, we've been working in collaboration with them, other states, USDA, mm-hmm. not just on the formulation, but also looking at the feeders, you know, and, you know, what kind of a feeder can a raccoon get into? You know, what kind of a feeder can you keep a raccoon out of? Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, there's, there's other aspects, for instance, you know, um, the the uh, the guys in Colorado are still working on um, a trying to find a feeder design that will keep bears out because you know uh, as you know if anybody's familiar with bears you know they're they you mean can, a three hundred pound raccoon uh, exactly exactly <laughs> and so and so you know those are those are concerns for places that have bears I mean the the feeder design that is being tested and deployed it will be put in areas where where we have no indications that there are bears. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and the research is going to continue because, you know, this, this particular toxicant, you know, would be toxic to bears as well. So until we can find a, a, until somebody, some of the researchers or collaborators or innovators out there can come up with something that will keep bears out, you know, what, um, you know, the, the delivery mechanism we're working with right now is, is simply going to have to be restricted to areas that don't have bears. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a bear can pretty much get into anything that it they, they can. They can. You know. So it's going to take it's going to take some some smart people. And we've seen some. You know, we have had people bring us some some fairly innovative designs 
um, and uh, that we have tested and are continuing to test. Um, and by we, I mean it may be some that we tested at the Kerr area, or it could be these uh, devices that that some of our partners are testing. But um, hopefully, some of them will come up with a better mousetrap, if you will. That sure. Sure. That'll restrict the delivery of this of, of of a toxic bait to just just feral swine. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you as far as oh, and, and we're just backing up. I know you guys, like you said, you've been working with sodium nitrate, playing with it, uh, trying to discover its possibilities as an effective poison for what eight to ten years. You said. So, that, yeah. That, a while. Yeah. It, it, it's been a while. Yeah. So this isn't a new thing. It, no, um, it's not. Yeah. And why West Texas would be my my next question. Well, and so the um, the what the what the researchers want to do is they want to look at kind of the, the spectrum of environments that that um, that feral hogs occur in, uh, and so those that's the reason for the two study sites. You know, one one in West Texas, a rather arid, mm-hmm. dry, hot um, study site, and then Alabama, you know, hot, humid, typical of the South. Uh, to 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 essentially um, have study sites on the range of the the different climatic conditions where most of the feral hogs exist right now. Okay. Okay. Um, do you expect there to be public outcry regarding this, just like you know we saw with the? Uh, you warfare? know, well, so we're hoping. I'm hoping that the term is an outcry. I think I think it's wise for folks to inquire, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's you know something that we. You know, we were inquiring about initially uh, because, you know, for, for several reasons. But, but from our agency perspective, uh, concerns about impacts to non-targets. We hope that the data uh, that that we're producing and the papers that that our staff and and other researchers are publishing in peer-reviewed publications will. Um, will satisfy uh, folks' concerns or their their inquiries, and then obviously that also applies to you know f- to folks to feral hog hunters. You know we know a lot we know a lot of folks love to hunt feral hogs and eat feral hogs, and so there's questions about you know about you know what are the impacts or what could the impacts be, and uh, there's uh, you know published information right now that really shows that 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 risk is is uh, is really very low unless you. We're going to go out there and consume the stomach and intestines of a hog. Okay. Um, but much, much less come across one that has, well, in other words, you know, it takes about three hours um, for the uh, for a hog that has consumed a lethal dose to dose to succumb to it. So obviously, you know, the, that really minimizes the time frame of exposure to hunters. You know, that was one of the other reasons we liked um, this particular formulation. As opposed to warfarin, you know, warfarin it takes a long time. Yeah, yeah. Relatively speaking. Sure. As with this particular. So this is a one-stop shop. They come to the feeder, they eat it, and that's it. The deal's done. So that ideally, yes, they're they're in the in the test phase that they're doing right now. They're going to do two nights, mm-hmm. um, two consecutive nights, um, but they won't leave the bait out during the daylight hours. Uh, and so they'll clean it out of the feeders, you know, in the morning. So just it'll just be nocturnal. But but yes, ideally it takes one dose. I mean, it only takes one dose to kill the hog if the hogs uh, consumes uh, enough. And so mm-hmm. ideally, what you do is get get the hogs um, basically acclimated to all coming to your placebo bait, the bait that doesn't have the toxin in it, uh, but 
but is made of the same uh, other materials otherwise. And then once they're used to consuming it, then you do a switch out uh, on it and put the toxic bait in. And uh, that's the theory at least. But that's, you know, that's what we're going to learn um, from this next phase. You know, a lot, most of the stuff that we've done, we've either done in, in our pens or in our 300-acre exclosure at the Kerr area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is going to go to the field. Uh, you know, there will be, with the USDA will be radio collaring uh, feral hogs. Uh, we will be radio collaring raccoons in conjunction with this. Uh, we'll have, you know, cameras out. So we'll be monitoring, you know, how this, you know, how the, the, the hogs and other animals react to the feeders uh, um, out there in a natural environment the way we would anticipate deploying this, um, you know, if it was registered. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Clayton, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, come back, and then get into how prevention methods are going to be implemented to keep this out of the entire food chain. You know, when a coyote eats the hog that's been killed by the sodium nitrite, and then a vulture eats the coyote that dies from eating the hog, where does that end up ultimately? Because I guarantee you that's the number one question that's going to be proposed to you guys by hunters and outdoorsmen and women uh, so are you cool to stick around for another segment? You bet. I'll, I'll, I'll hang around. Awesome. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion and with another location in San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for some time now, whether that's a whitetail, black bear, speckled trout, exotic, turkey, I mean, you name it. They do amazing work. They answer the phone when I call. And they deliver fast turnaround time. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back with more on the new feral hog poison set to be tested in West Texas and Alabama after the break right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one-morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at HuntOutlaw.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Sleeping at the wheel. 
jam right there from Kylie Ray Harris slide over, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Although, uh, I recently found out that only about 15% of our audience is women. Eh, so not too surprising, uh, but we are seeing more and more women take to the field than ever before. So guys, tell your girls to give the podcast a listen one of these days. Uh, they might they might like it. Who knows? Anyway, we're all set to uh, jump back into our feral hog poison discussion with Texas Parks and Wildlife Wildlife Division Director Clayton Wolf, who graciously uh, said he'd stick around for another segment. But first, this segment is brought to you by Horizon Firearms. Y'all have seen that custom 7 mag that I've been toting around the last couple years. It's a tack driver. I took it to Africa, Colorado. Where else has that gun been? New Mexico, Oklahoma, you name it. Um, it's taken a lot of animals. And I might jinx myself here, but I have not lost an animal with that rifle. Uh, you can find all of their builds right there at horizonfirearms.com and tell them I sent you. All right, so let's go ahead and jump back into the feral hog poison discussion with Clayton Wolf. And Clayton, before the break, you gave us the rundown on this sodium nitrite poison hog gun, which is set to be tested in West Texas and Alabama this summer. And it's truly a fascinating topic, one that uh, people take notice of. And, and if it's anything like the Wafferin deal uh, from last year, Folks are going to get up in arms about it. One thing you know we're reminding folks is, is you know this is you know it, it, it's not the panacea for hog control. I don't think anybody thinks that even uh, if we get the the um, the bait registered and if there's a high degree of mortality associated with the way that it's licensed, that it's gonna that it's gonna quote get rid of feral hogs. Um, but, you know, it'll be an extra tool in the toolbox um, for folks, you know, that are having problems with feral hogs. And at least right now, you know, I mean, any concerns that we have had, you know, the the, the researchers and the, and the company, you know, that, that is producing this have been have been willing to go along cautiously with us and make sure that we, you know, we turn over all the stones, hopefully, so that we can, um, we can, address anybody's concerns out there as and and still get a you know another useful tool in the toolbox for feral hog control mm-hmm. well i guess my, my last thing you mentioned so if a, a hunter shoots one that's ingested it which might not be that likely because it only takes three hours to kill them um but you'd have to eat the stomach contents well i mean coyotes bobcats every you know scavengers are going to eat that stomach contents and then uh, vultures and hawks and whatever are going to eat the coyotes that have, have you know maybe died as a result of, of ingesting the uh, uh, maybe 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 not and so so look I'll break this out into two things and you know the 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 level of sodium nitrite that there's there's a level and I can't remember the level that that um, that um, you have to ingest. That you have to ingest, or that's the allowable level, you know, for food products in Texas. But, but that threshold, you know, was not exceeded for any of the flesh. So, you know, or the eyeballs, spleen, etc. It was only that stomach, stomach contents. But uh-huh. at the same time, then our researchers also did a lot of work looking at the, 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 um, 
the level of sodium nitrite, which is in the stomach and in the small intestine, and it was much reduced uh, from from the original levels. And they and they looked at a lot of data on toxic levels for mammals, raptors, etc. Uh, in the last paper I saw, there um, they they hypothesized that the risk is also very limited there as well because. That because of the way, number one, the way scavengers feed on carcasses, they typically go after the muscle tissue and other organs first. Mm-hmm. Um, the stomach and, and intestines are the last, typically the last to be consumed. And as they're sitting there, the other thing that is happening is, is sodium nitrite breaks down uh, rather rapidly in that stomach environment and in the environment. And so, uh, and I can provide you a, one of the papers that the, that our our team and others worked on. But basically, they took that material and they and they monitored it through time. They even looked at the vomit that that these hogs were throwing up, hmm. and monitored it through time because they knew it would be out there in the environment. See how fast it would break down. And the the sum and substance was it breaks down rather rapidly. Um, and so there's so their hypothesis is. Um, that by the time a coyote, vulture, uh, raccoon would access that stomach material, at least on the data and the models they had, and they ran some conservative ones, they do not believe that they would ingest a toxic amount. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah. Great so theory. I mean, it's. I mean, they're. I tell you what, they're. They're turning our team, USDA, the 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 the, the company, and all the other researchers have. They're turning every stone to look at to look at impacts out there, and um, you know if you want, I can uh, I can uh, ship you a copy of that that most recent. Yeah, paper. absolutely. Yeah, I'll 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 get that to you. I'd love to have that at my disposal. Um, okay, one other thing you said, which I thought you know was interesting, and you told me this off the air, but the hogs can taste the sodium nitrite, so you guys have to come up with a way to disguise that taste, which. Uh, I don't. I mean, with with how good their sense of smell is, and I'm sure taste as well. I imagine it's pretty difficult. Oh uh, well, yeah. And so the folks have already figured out how to micro encapsulate it. You know, in the early in the early years, we were uh, our team at the Curry was working with just raw sodium nitrite, uh, and they could tell them they could even smell it. They could smell mm-hmm. the they could smell the the product oxidizing. Uh, and they could tell that there was an avoidance to raw sodium nitrite. Uh, the the uh, the the folks with ACTA uh, in Australia uh, worked on a micro encapsulation technique, uh, or maybe it was two techniques. I can't recall. We we also had uh, Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio look at a, a couple of other micro encapsulation techniques. Uh, and this paper that I'll send you actually shows uh, the results of the different formulations, um, and and essentially several of them work pretty well. But the formulation that 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 um, that Acta was using uh, is is as good as any of the others. So it um, they have been able to successfully uh, micro encapsulate it uh, and get it into the the the, the hog's stomach. Uh, before that micro encapsulation finally you know started breaking down and and the ingredient becoming active activated and absorbed into the system hmm. okay so yeah it's uh there's <laughs> that, that i mean like so we've been work you know i we our team there on the on the cur area um has been working on this for for um you know 
close to 10 years now, and so there's a there's been a lot of lessons learned um, in trying to you know figure out how to safely deploy this this uh, kind of toxic. And I think we're I think they're doing a very a very good job of uh, trying to chase down all those leads and answer hmm. folks' concerns. See, and, and and I don't know how much of this was really public knowledge when the Warfarin thing came out. Um, I had no idea that you guys had been uh, messing around with this possible um, toxicant for nearly a decade. Uh, yeah, we, exactly. Well, I mean, we were told, you know, it was going to take a long time to get it registered when the things uh, when when things got on the radar screen with uh, the warfarin-based bait that um, I guess made us more aware, uh, or at least at least helped us learn that, you know, the things that we, we were going to have to uh, address to address people's concerns, we feel like we really were covering most of that initially, mm-hmm. you know, even even before the warfarin-based bait came online. So, but, you know, like I said, it, we were told that this was going to be a long um, process to get this product registered. And so, been you know not having anything to roll out it wasn't anything that we were white you know we were waving a flag about for some time mm-hmm. but there are um just for for folks listening you know you can go to usda's website there's the national wildlife research center and, and they've got uh, some faqs frequently asked questions you know they are the lead uh agency on this um field deployment research uh they are the essentially the the permittees for this experimental use permit, uh, and so there's a lot of good information uh, on their site that that has basically been developed as they have heard folks uh, voice concerns. Uh, they put information up there to show how research is is, a, is attempting to or has addressed those those uh, questions. Okay, well, interesting, um, and, and you know, you read this little three paragraph. Uh, blurb in the Associated Press, and and I was like, well, there's got to be a lot more to this, so we'll give Clayton a call and and see if he could break it down for us, which you've done in in great detail. So we certainly appreciate that. Well, if any if you ever want any more uh, details, you know our guys out there on the Kerr Wildlife Management Area, you know uh, Justin Foster and John Kinsey and Ryan Wrights and the team out there, you know they've been they've been elbow deep in this for some time, so. Um, hmm. They can provide as much information as as uh, you'd like to consume. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, I'll kind of leave with this thought, Clayton. Um, and I always get tickled because people want they want landowners to quit complaining about feral hogs, and that, but they don't want to go pay to hunt. But here's the deal: you can't control a feral hog population by letting three hunters on your land every other weekend to kill one hog apiece. You know, it just <laughs> they reproduce too too quickly, and and then the landowners just have uh, that liability of having people on their property. Uh, which does no good. So there's only trapping, there's aerial gunning, and then to a lesser extent, running them with dogs. You know, you can keep hogs off your property for a little while that way. So I think all of the above in persistence. Yeah, yeah. right. So there needs to be something else. So hopefully this will will be uh, that tool that, you know, we're never going to get rid of them. I don't want to get rid of them. I like to shoot them and eat them. Uh, but they definitely need their numbers, uh, you know, controlled to some extent. So, hopefully, this will be that. You, you bet, you bet. We're we're hopeful, and like I said, uh, everyone, the, the 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 company, the researchers, the developers are all on the same page. Hopefully, um, 
I mean, hopefully we have have addressed all the concerns that have been uh, or questions that have been brought to us so far. So we're 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 very hopeful. Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate your time. Thank you, Cable. You take care. Clayton Wolf, our Wildlife Division Director for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Always great visiting with Clayton. Just a couple of things to clarify there. I forgot. You can also put a dent in those feral hog numbers with the thermal and night vision. Not as effective as aerial gunning or or large scale trapping, but you definitely can uh, can put a hurting on them that way. And I also want to make the point that I'm not a landowner, so don't beat me up over saying it doesn't do a landowner any good to let you know a couple guys come on his place every once in a while and shoot a couple hogs. It really doesn't. Uh, he assumes all of the risk if someone gets hurt, you know, people tear up his pasture, whatever. Um, it just it's not worth his time. So that's where I'm coming from on that front. Uh, and I do wish I was a landowner. Maybe someday, maybe someday Lone Star Ag Credit could help me out with that. You know, they've been helping other people out for over 100 years. Uh, and land is the one thing they're not making any more of. So when I do, if I do, if God blesses me enough to where I'm able to ever make that kind of financial commitment, uh, then I will damn sure give Lone Star Ag Credit a call. You should do the same. If you're in that place and time uh, where you can afford to purchase your own piece of paradise, uh, give Lone Star Ag Credit a call or just look them up at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Up next, I'm going to tell you about a pretty incredible whitetail hunt I experienced while hunting with my buddy Don Cresham at his place in Montag County this past week. Uh, I'm going to call this segment The One That Got Away, and I'll tell you all about it next <laughs> right here. Star Outdoor Show. Love it, leave it, let this song I'm singing be a warning. You running down my country, man, you walking on fight inside me. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The system hog trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hey, it's Cable for DontTradeItIn.com. If you've got an old four-wheel drive vehicle that you don't need anymore, or you want to upgrade your daily driver or hunting rig to a newer one, DontTradeItIn.com wants your vehicle running or not. Their purchase process is quick, easy, and painless. Answer a few questions and get a cash offer in no time. They'll beat CarMax and dealership buy bids, guaranteed. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com or call or text Justin at 469-300-9669. That's 469-300-9669. 
Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Dance, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. He said he ain't no hound. He's a black mouth cur. He'll do what you got in mind. He gonna tree any coon or catch any hog in any steer inside. He'll watch over your young. Love that one there from our good buddy Justin Bowerman, Black Mouth Cur. <laughs> and anybody who's been hog dogging has likely hunted with some kind of cur dog or, or mix of some sort that has some cur in it. Uh, great tune. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you for being here today as we are rocking and rolling on the Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Check us out at biggame.org and be sure to head over to the K. Bailey Hutchinson Convention Center downtown Dallas this weekend as Legacy 2018 is rocking and rolling. It's the annual DSE convention. Over 1,850 outfitters, guides, gun makers, optics companies, you name it, if it has to do with hunting or fishing, they are in Dallas, Texas this weekend. So come on out and stop by. It is truly a one-of-a-kind event, and I will be there all weekend. So come find me, say hi. We'll talk a little hunting and fishing. Speaking of hunting, uh, we got to get into a deer hunt <laughs> that will it kind of go down in infamy for me as far as the one that got away. Uh, it was a great hunt with my good buddy Don Gresham, longtime friend and sponsor of the show. Uh, y'all probably have heard his commercial, uh, Going Fencing. They build custom hog traps in Montag County, Texas. And so without further ado, let's bring him on right now. I'm sure he is on the road somewhere delivering a hog trap to somebody. <laughs> it's my pleasure to welcome Don Gresham to the show. Hey, it's good to be back. I'm glad we had a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we always have a good time when we get together. Uh, it, it took dang near till the end of the season this year for us to get on a hunt, but uh, we're going to talk about that here momentarily. But first, uh, you live a, a pretty interesting life as far as the outdoors go. Why don't you tell our listeners what you are doing at this very moment? Hey, just going down the road. We're headed down to Wharton, Texas. The first thing that we do is we trap a lot of hogs, and that keeps the deers happy. Yeah. We we use one of our 30-foot traps. We trigger it with our telephone, and then you go and get them out and sell the hogs. Right on, right on. And how long have you been building these uh, custom hog traps? The traps we've had going for at least nine years, since 2009. So that would be, you know, seven years. Yeah. Uh on top of that, you can take our trap and you can make a deer food plot system out of it. That way you're not just buying a hog trap. You can use it for multiple items. Right. What is the most hogs that um, the system has ever trapped in one night? One of our customers caught 88 hogs in one trap in one night. Now, <laughs> on our ranch, the most that we've caught is 54, but the record is 88. And it's it's not uncommon to catch twenty and thirty hogs in one of the traps. Yeah, yeah. And and what does wild hog meat go for these days at the uh, at a buyer? You can sell 
the hogs for around 50 cents a pound is about the going average. Sometimes it's a little higher, sometimes it's a little lower, depending on what time of year it is. Yeah. But the hog meat, instead of just you know poisoning the hogs like they're talking about doing in the near future, you can take the hogs and sell it to the hog buyer. The hog buyer turns around, sells it to a packing plant, and the packing plant turns around, sells it to exotic restaurants or they use it for the dog food. If you've ever been to one of the places that sells Taste of the Wild, uh-huh. uh, that's a type of uh, hog meat dog food, and they love it. Yeah, and I think they still send quite a bit of it over to Europe, if I'm not mistaken. They do. Yeah. I've heard that whenever it gets over to Europe, it's like $14 a pound. Yeah, I'm that's sure it is. Hearsay. Yeah. Um, but what I like about the trap is when you bust it down and you put it around your protein feeders, it keeps the hogs from eating your dadgum protein and makes the bucks happy. As you've seen, uh, bucks really went wild over that new protein feed that we're selling this year called Big Bucks Plus. Yeah, It's a mixture of items that the first bag is a heat stress type item. It keeps the buck's body temperature down two to three degrees while he's growing his antlers. And you mix in with it another item called throwing bone, and it helps develop the buck's rack to just huge proportions. It took our bucks from a 19-inch spread for the average over the past five or six years to this year anywhere from 20 to 26-inch spreads. I was really impressed with the results. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and we had the pleasure of uh, getting together for a hunt earlier this week. It was about, say, 15 degrees outside. <laughs> oh, yes, it was cold. Yeah. It was. And, uh, you know, we said we were in a box blind, but when you can still see your breath inside a, a box blind with a propane heater, you know it's pretty dadgum frigid. Yeah, but with all the excitement we had going on, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. And we figured the deer would be moving uh, because, like we said, uh, very cold. And we got out there for an afternoon set. Um, and in early December, you had sent me a text message of a, of an of an eight point that's probably mid four one forty inch deer. I mean, he is a stud of an eight point. And you said, whenever you come out, we're gonna be we're gonna be after this guy. And uh, and I don't think he'd been back to the protein feeder in about four days based off of your camera. Uh, but you just had a feeling he'd be back due to how cold it had gotten. And, yep. and uh, we sat there. We had a, a young buck come out about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then some does filtered in, uh, probably both an hour of daylight left, and watched them for a while. And, and then as that, as that super moon got going, um, we figured the activity would pick up, and, and it sure did. What uh, what were your thoughts on that? I think it was actually called like the Wolf something Supermoon. Uh, it was supposed to be the, the biggest and brightest moon of, of 2018, and it, there it was on January 1st, of the, you know, first day of the year. Yeah, this in January we were supposed to have two of the moons. first moon was called a Supermoon, and I can't remember what the second moon was, but it sure did help the deer moving around. They were supposed to move really good on Monday and Tuesday of this week, according to the different uh, items that I had looked at. Well, and and, we we was in the right spot at the right time. And what are your thoughts on the on hunting a full moon? Um, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't ever hunt the full moon." I mean, that is the best time to me to hunt is the full moon because they, from what the old timers say, is that the deer will go to the water during the middle of the day, which you know means that they'll be moving a lot during the middle of the day. But listening to the old timers, you can you can learn a lot about them. Yeah. 
and they were definitely moving that back. Yeah. Well, so we had probably 10, 15 minutes of, of shooting light left, and and still a very bright supermoon. So, I mean, and you're filming the whole time, and, and it's crystal clear. And, and I look up, and, and there's a nice 10-point. He was, uh, I guess, coming out just to, you know, I think really he was just just sniffing when he came out just to see what was going on. He looked over at the does and hadn't even made his way to the protein feeder. Just came out of the woods. Yeah, wood. he was. He was headed that way, but he was checking out his surroundings prior to it. Yeah, he yeah. was a nice one. Oh yeah, yeah. And I said, "Hey, Don, there's there's a buck right there," and and you got the camera on him, and and you said, "Well, that's not the the big eight point, but he's a shooter if you want to shoot him." And I it didn't take me long to get the gun out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it did, man. But you know, we had a little bit of me moving the camera, having to raise the wind, and all of that good stuff. But you know, time, patience. Man, we got him. Yeah, yeah. And so you filmed the whole thing and and put a good shot on him. Uh, and here's the crazy thing, Don. And I encourage people to check out the video. It's on our Facebook page and Instagram page because it's something that I've never experienced in my life. Shoot the 10-point. He runs into the woods, out of view, and here comes the big, giant 8-point running right at us. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and you hey. said, oh, there's two bucks. Well, we couldn't see him. He was in the woods. And the sound of the rifle actually flushed him out of the woods, ran right at us. You can see this giant rack coming at me, and I'm, I'm pretty sure on film you can hear me drop a, a choice word there. <laughs> uh, I thought that was your bottom jaw hitting the floor. Going, yeah. Oh man! <laughs> yeah, and and he and he actually stopped about 50 yards from the blind, and of course I I still had a I had another tag and I had my rifle on him, and I was like. What do you think? And you're like, well, I'm not on him. I'm not. I don't have the camera on him. Don't just. We already shot one. Don't shoot. Him. I was gonna say, here's the million dollar question. How close were you to saying, yeah, shoot him? <laughs> oh, I was real close, but I know how cold it was. And then being able to have to track two deers that night. Oh man, I yeah. dread that. Yeah. He was. He was, Oh my gosh, he was Back the biggest. The bottom area. Biggest eight point I've ever seen. That's for sure. And I knew that I was limited on my uh, night lights that we could set up to track blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which uh, which we ended up using. Uh, so where the ten point stood, you know, you had actually thought that I'd hit him a little low. Uh, we would go back and watch the video, and it or actually find the deer, and it ended up being a clean shot. But yeah, it was a clean shot. But what the reason I thought that you hit it low is I seen dust bounce up on the back side is what I seen in the camera. And uh -huh. I thought, oh, man, you know, you shot low. But you had a dead-on shot, perfect, clean. Yeah, and, I, and I've been using those uh, ballistic tips, the Hornady's, which I'm a big fan of. I uh, started using them when I went to Africa because you need, really, you want around over there, the animals are bigger, um, a little stouter, and you need a, a bullet that's going to give you as much penetration as possible. Where over here, um, you're like, yeah. Next time, don't don't bring the ballistic tips with you. Yeah, bring a soft point. Yeah, yeah. That way it'll hit because you know you don't have much room on a white pill for the penetration. When you penetrate, it's gone through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it did. It went clean through. Wasn't a lot of blood to be honest. We did find you know blood trail, and we did, we made quick work of it. It probably took us, you know, by this time it's dark. And it took us about 15 minutes to find a deer that had only gone 80 yards. Uh, yep. But but it, you know, we had the blood trail, and every time that we'd find a little bit of blood, we'd lay one of those lights down, and then just kept looking. And every 10 feet or so, you'd see it. 
when you get to the far end of where your trail is, you've got your lights showing you exactly the pattern of the deer running. Yeah. And so when you run out of blood drops, you just think to yourself, hey, which way would the deer go? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what you did. Yeah. And you found it. And when, you, when you're talking about these lights, these are actually glow sticks, which um, is, is a great idea. And, and something that I had not used before, but highly recommend it. They're very inexpensive and a, a really a great tool. Like you said, we ran, we got to a, a place where, you know, we're, we're having a hard time picking up blood for about five minutes. And I just said, okay, I turn around, look back at the, the lights that we laid out on the blood trail and said, this is the way the deer was going. I think this is where he went. Walked about 30 more yards over there and there was his white belly, you know, in that super moon. So, um, yep. It's I try to keep at least 10 of those packs in my backpack. That way, any time at nighttime, we can hang them and find the deer relatively easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it just goes to show you, Don, like once the sun goes down, tracking a deer becomes infinitely more difficult. And, uh, yep. And Even though we shot him before dark, if we had got out and immediately got on him, I've done it before, got out too early. You know, you'll bust the deer, and the deer will run on, and then there's no telling where he's going to go. But you got to give him time to expire. Oh yeah, I, the first buck I ever shot, I did that. I uh, I shot him. He went and bedded down. And being a novice deer hunter at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, he went over there. I'm, you know, go get him or shoot him again. Or really didn't know my head from my rear end at that point as a whitetail hunter. Bumped him, and it, I'll be damned if it didn't take the rest of the day to find him. Yep, we've all done it, you know, and that's just uh, over time you learn not to get out of the stand early. Yeah, so so we got out of the stand, went and went back and got some flashlights and the glow sticks and gave him about 30, 45 minutes before we went back and and recovered him. And uh, like we said, ended up being a, a beautiful 10-point. You knew immediately when he came out what buck he was. You you had a lot of pictures of him coming, oh, yeah. to, coming to that, that protein mix and and uh yes sir i've had a lot of videos for the big bucks plus protein because they just keep on coming to it i i got a friend of mine some of the same mix because he did not have them coming to his area so he set my mix up on him and uh, within two nights he already had eight deer standing in line going to this product and i can't say enough about the big bucks plus Uh, they are some really good protein items yeah, well, you're certainly a believer, and and right now, um, and I want to reiterate on this: if you do feed protein, um, now is a good time to do that because everyone wants to feed it. You know, uh, summer when these bucks are putting that headgear on, but the deer actually need it more right now than they than they ever could, especially for the right. bucks. They've been yep. depleted. They've lost, and a lot of them have lost thirty, forty percent of their body weight fighting and and trying to mate throughout. You know a long rut and they're worn down. Uh, yep. so this is when a, I'm going to start, uh, putting out the throwing bone item is in mid March because in mid March, this item also helps them shed their antlers quickly and start regrowth hmm. by mid April. We already had bucks that had six inches worth of growth and the going around the antler was probably, Oh, I'd say around a five inch, you know, if you was to be able to measure them. Because looking at the pictures, I wouldn't have been able to put my hand around the base of their antlers. Right. The velvet stage at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Don, I, I certainly appreciate the invite. 
um, we usually get to hunt a couple times a year together and, and then always uh, run into each other at the trophy hunter shows. And, and heck, I mean, I spend a lot of time out with your family shooting skeet and, and uh, just coming out for dinner. And, and I appreciate your friendship and, and for sitting out there and filming in that 15 degree hey, weather. <laughs> we're always glad to have you come out and have a good time. You need to stay overnight with us sometime and camp out around the campfire. All right, uh, buddy. If anybody needs to see the product, they can go to our shop.goinfencing.com. That's S-H-O-P dot G-O-I-N-F-E-N-C-I-N-G dot com. They can view all of our products anywhere from uh, predator calls all the way up to the 30-foot hog trap. Awesome. Well, Don, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for jumping on today. Always enjoy it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. There he goes, my good friend, Don Gresham, uh, someone who, I'll be honest with you, I've learned a lot about hogs and deer behavior from Don over the years as uh, we've been hunting together dang near a decade now. Now, that segment, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. If you're trying to bring in that big eight point, like the one that got away from Don and I, uh, you need to grab a 600-pound stand-and fill. So easy, you don't need a ladder, don't need to back your truck up next to the feeder, just stand there and fill it up. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. But y'all don't go anywhere. Up next, you public land duck hunters out there, uh, yeah, you and me, we have a friend in Ducks Unlimited. We'll tell you about some projects they're working on with DU public land biologist Kevin Hartke right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. There's no fortune at the end of the road that has no end. There's no returning to the spoils once you spoil the thought of them. There's no falling back to sleep once you've waken from Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace 
race that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H is in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one-morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. Cut them all, Jack. A little Steve Conover bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for being here as we are all set to talk some waterfowl conservation and public land duck hunting. Uh, but before we jump into that topic of conversation, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by two Texas traditions. I'm talking about Lone Star Beer and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And when you do, why don't you grab an ice-cold Lone Star beer? Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. All right, well, let's talk some ducks. One of my favorite things in the entire world, the reason that I fell in love with hunting to begin with uh, was because of my first chocolate lab, Maverick. And uh, that first duck that he retrieved and brought back, I was hooked. There was no turning back. And here we are 15 years later still loving and living that outdoor lifestyle. Uh, but ducks have always had my heart because I love labs and and uh, I love to watch them do what they were born to do, which is duck hunt. And so without further delay, let's talk some ducks. It's my pleasure to welcome Ducks Unlimited regional and public lands biologist Kevin Hartke. Thanks for jumping on, man. Not a problem. Uh, first of all, how has your duck season been? It's been fairly good. Um, hunters have experienced a lot of the success on public lands and private as well. But also, you know, as, as the season wanes on, it does depend on on where the food is, where the ducks want to be, and, and, and how much on how hard you're willing to work to, to improve your success, yeah. to maintain that level of success throughout the season. Yeah. Well, and I think people forget, and... Um, the older I get, and, and actually the more that I've hunted, duck hunted other places, we're at the tail end of the Central Flyway. These ducks have been shot at for months, all the way from, you know, in some cases, Canada through the Dakotas and, and all the way down to, in your case, the Texas coast almost. Uh, so they're highly educated, and uh, and I think they're more difficult to hunt down here than in pretty much anywhere else. Um, with that being said, I think this these... Uh, this cold snap we've had here over the last 10 days or so from the outfitters I've talked to, it's really brought a lot of ducks down. 
Yeah, yeah, I would think I would agree. I mean, that's definitely going to be one factor that's going to bring in new ducks that probably haven't been educated as as you know. I mean, it's a new it's a new batch of birds, right? So right. They haven't they haven't been educated at least to Texas hunting. Yeah. Texas hunters. Um, they haven't been so, shot at by us yet. <laughs> and they and and they're also looking for resources, right? They're they're hungry. Yeah. So they're looking for open water and food, which, which they are lacking right now in the in the frigid. Midwest. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, and and up in my neck of the woods, all of the small water is frozen. It has been for a couple of days now, even you know North Texas area. Uh, right. So my advice to anybody um, where that's the situation is head out to big reservoirs, head out to public land. This is prime time for you know stellar public land hunting because the big water's open. Yes. Yes. That's right. Big water will be open. Yeah. And uh, and historically, uh, I've been chasing these <laughs> these ducks for about 15 years, and some of my best hunts of all time have been in this type of weather pattern right here, where all of the farm tanks and ponds are frozen over, and you just head out to the reservoir, and I mean you're going to see every species, and you're going to see a lot of them. What I really wanted to to visit with you about today, Kevin, is uh, continuing on that that down that public land uh, on that vein. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about some of the restoration projects that DU is currently heading up or partnering in because, you know, a lot of duck hunters are still grinding it out on public land. Sure. So, I mean, DU has been pretty active with um, with Texas Parks and Wildlife in the recent uh, 12, 12 to 18 months mm-hmm. with their public land projects, their priority projects. And currently we're, we're working with Texas Parks and Wildlife at Ridgeland Creek wildlife management area. We're, we're helping them enhance and establish some, some wetland areas on their, on their WMAs. Um, with, I, I believe, you know, those areas are part of their public hunting um, inventory. Pretty much all on WMAs, pretty much um, almost all the acres that are in, in the WMA are open to some form of hunting, whether it be waterfowl or upland game or, or, or a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's you know that's that's one pro- that's one site we're pretty active right now. And what are y'all doing? Like so, for example, WMA that's close to me is Cooper. You know, um, it's about an hour and fifteen minutes in the, from from the Dallas area, and I've hunted there plenty of times. And they have a a little part of that lake is overflow, and uh, and it's managed strictly for waterfowl. And I don't know if y'all are doing something similar. What are you specifically doing at Richland Creek? So, I mean, it's essentially what we're we're working within the habitat that is uh it's part of the bottomlands, uh, hardwood bottomlands, and we're working within an area that, uh, yeah, there is some overflow during you know, but it's mostly through rainfall, right? Right. So the so the WMA wants to try and capture rain behind levees, so we're putting up specialized. We're putting up levees that can be um, that can hold water, and but also be built up, you know, or, or sort of robust enough to be overtopped by flooding events, so they can be easily maintained and not be um, overly stressed during those high water events. Um, so we're talking about flooding within some maybe some former sluice, you know, some you know some former uh, river channels that are now you know sloughs mm-hmm. or oxbows, that kind of habitat. Um, um, so it's you know maintaining maybe providing some open water emergent habitat surrounded by um, shorelines that are wooded. Okay. Uh, maybe some of the sh- and maybe some of that water 
would sort of feather up into the woods as well. Um, I do know that in conjunction with our construction work, the WMA has been active with um, removing some invasive trees, such like ash hmm. um, and other types of trees of that nature that that are taking up that would take up the uh, the open you know that to try and promote those open water areas for ducks to land in. So, um, so it's kind of a so they're, you know, they're not only are they help, not only are they, you know, interested in just putting, you know, holding water, but they're trying to also, uh, you know, maintain the open water or, or create some open water areas. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's what's going on at, at Richland Creek. Um, what Are there any other projects that you're currently working on or is that the, the primary one? Well, that's what's active right now. I mean, in the future, we have some plans over at, uh, uh, Gus Engling, WMA, mm-hmm. similar type of work, working within that bottom land hardwood habitat, uh, trying to put up uh, some, some levees and water control structures to, to uh, help the WMA uh, manage water levels for a longer period after flooding events. This would, again, this would all be like, like you said, like super WMA, the overflow type of events that would establish the water mm-hmm. and the levees and water control structures would allow them to hold that water in. A long for you know for longer periods. Yeah. Um, that would be more of a that habitat's a little more of a mature hardwood bottomland, so it's you know true kind of green tree reservoir kind of uh, type habitat. Um, uh, other side and that one's probably slated for if it happens. You know, right now the the, the, the parks and wildlife is exploring. We've done a, we've done survey design work there and the the. Um, Given the cost estimate and the department, Parks and Wildlife Department is looking for uh, making plans to fund it, and, and I think they're 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 tentatively slating uh, that project for uh, next year. Hmm. So, um, I mean, a couple years from now, it'd be ready for uh, for some duck hunters. Yeah. Um, going, you know, back to the coast. Uh, we recently completed a project with again with Texas Parks and Wildlife at the JD Murphy. Uh, wildlife management area on their salt bio unit. Mm-hmm. They had an old um, uh, on the GIW. So that salt bio uh, unit borders the GIW on the sh- southern shoreline of the GIW, uh, the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway. Uh-huh. And so um, there's a structure that they had put in about maybe 20, 25 years ago that was starting to fail. And that structure helped maintain uh, or help prevent saltier water from the GIW from entering into the, the, the marsh and salt biosystem. And so it needed some parts replaced. And so we've been helping them uh, come up with a, you know, a project cost and, and, and understand what kind of, and, and, and uh, design, and then also install these parts, these new parts onto the structure that's there. Um, and that project just finished up maybe two weeks ago. Okay, very cool. That's part of a, a larger effort to um, restore the, hydro, the hydrology to that salt bio uh, watershed shed system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, additional future projects. We have a plan at uh, Justin Hurst Wildlife Management Area. Um, we're talking about doing some increasing their ability to add water to the landscape, um, not just simply... Um, uh, not just simply waiting for a rainfall events, but actually actively flooding impoundments there. 
uh, adding some new capabilities in 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 terms of uh, pumping water from from a from a nearby creek that when it when it's when it's flowing fresh they can move water from the creek into this impound into this adjacent impoundment and then also they have an existing uh, relift pump that needs to be replaced. Hmm. They're both these areas that are going to be serviced by these pumps are are heavily used by by public by public hunters. Okay. Well, so obviously some great projects and. You know, this isn't unique to DU and Texas Parks and Wildlife. Ducks Unlimited, I'm sure, works with state agencies throughout the country. Yes, we do. Yeah. We also work, also have the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Wildlife Refuges, maintained by the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We also uh, partner with them on projects. And we do have a lot of active projects with them. They're more of the, um, they're more of the restoration type of projects and protection projects, such as, say, some maybe some breakwater uh projects along the GIW to help maintain uh, shoreline, keep it from eroding even. The GIW has a history of erosion on the shoreline, and as the, as the shoreline erodes, you know, there's a lot of marshes adjacent to the GIW, and as that, that shoreline erodes, it's just it's making those marshes more vulnerable, vulnerable to tidal effects of, of, and, and saltwater intrusion. And so we're putting in some, we're doing, we're adding shoreline protection measures to places such as uh, the Sergeant Marsh unit um, at San Bernard. That's that's a project that started back in 2013. We built maybe about uh, three quarters of a mile, and we're still looking to to, to complete another uh, two 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 miles. Um, just waiting for some help from you know partners for funding. And, yeah, and so also, that was my next question. Is so on. On these, you know, public land restoration projects, where does the money come from? Who's funding that? So it comes from different. There's lots of different sources. Um, sometimes the, the agency that we're that the, we're directly partnering with that is going to receive the project, say Texas Parks and Wildlife or U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, has a funding source that they can dedicate to it. Like I so as you probably heard me repeat Texas Parks and Wildlife a lot with those first several projects. That's because they they in the past, during the past maybe four to five six years, and coming into the next two to four more years, they have access to some funding. When you when you buy a hunting license and you want to go buy it, you want to go hunt ducks or you want to go hunt um, uh, doves, you have to buy a stamp. It's the state, and it's the uh, it's the state migratory game bird stamp. Well, those funds. Are being have been you know have become have built up over time and and this and the department now has the authority to spend those dollars um, from that account on habitat projects and so the projects I mentioned at Ridgeland Creek, uh, Gus Angling and the Justin Hurst WMAs are being paid for pretty much completely by Texas Parks and Wildlife from that 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 uh, that, that account that's being built up by the sales of the the, the state. Uh, migratory game bird stamp. All those dollars are going to go back to the to the to the to the resource and be and also be benefiting public hunters. Okay. Um, so there's also other instances where we have to maybe submit for federal dollars or state dollars through a granting agency. One of our one of the places that we one of the um, grant sources that we always um, that we do a fairly good job of. Of applying for and receiving funds from is the uh, the acronym is NACA, but it's North American uh, Wetland Co- uh, Conservation Act program. 
And right. that's a grant program administered by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We are able to uh, apply for those funds with matching dollars. There's a requirement there to match the to to, to actually request, uh, say, a million dollars from the from this from this uh, source, this federal source. You have to to either match it one to one, or even bet, or try to be heavier on match and match it two to one, two of your dollars for every one of the every one of the U.S.'s dollars. Um, and we do a very good job of, of applying for and receiving those those grants. But you know we have to have help from our partners to to have to have the match. Mm-hmm. And so. It shows that we have a so very like could DU put up a dollar, Texas Parks and Wildlife put up a dollar, and then you go to NACA and get a, another yeah, dollar. A dollar, and so it's, and so it shows that we have a very strong. Uh, we do a very, we have a very strong partnership with with people, you know, with the other agencies and other NGOs, or even maybe in some cases the private landowners. We can bring money to the table, uh, and then we can receive. Uh, we can, like I said, two dollars to every one dollar from the federal government. And that money from NACA, from the North American Wetland Conservation Act, comes from, you know, again, similar types of, a similar source as in the state, uh, as in the stamp dollars that I, I referenced for the migratory uh, game bird stamp. And so, yeah, it's another another source of funds that's meant to, uh, you know, benefit wetlands and uh, wetlands and wetland wildlife, mainly waterfowl. And also, um, there's a metric that you need to kind of hit that. That your projects are going to benefit the public public users. And Kevin, I'm proud to say I'm still one of those public land duck hunters. I don't hunt public land as much as I used to, but I like the grind of public land hunting. Uh, few things are as rewarding as a great public land duck hunt uh, when you come out heavy with full straps. And so I still hit some of my old honey holes every year on various uh, WMAs and uh, Corps of Engineer lakes in the north and northeast Texas area. Um, And I know a lot of our listeners do as well. So we appreciate what you and Ducks Unlimited are doing. I encourage everybody to get plugged in with their local DU chapter. You absolutely will meet some great folks who share your common interest as far as duck hunting and waterfowl conservation go. And I'm proud to be on the Dallas committee. I encourage you guys to, uh, to get plugged in with your local chapter and start raising some money for ducks and, and waterfowl conservation. Kevin, thanks so much for your time today, brother. Truly a treat talking with you, and hope you have a great rest of the season. Not a problem. I appreciate um, you, you, you calling and, and, and you know, talking to me about these issues. Hey, thanks again, brother. Happy New Year. We'll talk soon. You too. All right. There he goes. Ducks Unlimited, Public Lands, and a regional biologist Kevin Hartke. Always great talking waterfowl conservation. Uh, one of the things that I have been truly passionate about um, in my career as an outdoorsman, uh, I just I love duck hunting, and and I want my son and his kids to see the same full skies that we are privileged to see, and and a lot of that goes back to the days of early conservation, that Pittman Robertson Act that we discussed earlier. Um, our our forefathers saw the writing on the wall. And, and it's because of those efforts and the continued efforts over the last 80-plus years uh, that we have record high numbers of waterfowl. Uh, so uh, conservation at work is a beautiful thing. That segment of the show 
was brought to you by Scent Blaster. Uh, Y'all have seen me using this product in the whitetail woods. I'm now transitioning more into hog hunting as deer season is wrapping up for a lot of us. And you can bet your behind that I will have my Scent Blaster filled up with some sweet-smelling attractant uh, on those hog hunts. Check it out. You can find it at ScentBlaster.net and get more scent out with Scent Blaster. Well, unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, got to go, got to get out of here. We are flat out of time. I do want to thank our guests, uh, of course, Kevin Hartke of DU, uh, Clayton Wolf, Wildlife Division Director for TPWD, and our good friend and hunting buddy Don Gresham. Uh, also, thanks to all of our sponsors. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. And she keeps it buttered up with a whole lot of love. My baby makes